show me the way to I'm taking my time on my ride. These aren't my favorite songs. They're not even necessarily the best songs, but rather my life as the playlist. Today I'm here with Luke Allen, the co-host of the currently running podcast Christmas Actually and podcast released earlier this year, Two Minutes About Time. So we had such a good time discussing the soundtrack for Two Minutes About Time. I thought it'd be fun to make a Christmas episode crossover and have Luke back here to discuss the soundtrack for Love Actually, which is one of my favorite soundtracks of mm. all time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It's it's good, especially for Christmas. It's yes. <laughs> yeah, so I'm really glad that you're here. And of course, since this is Life as a Playlist, going to focus on the whopping seven Billboard <laughs> charting hits. So yeah, I'm sure that's one of the reasons why it's one of my favorite soundtracks mm. is it just has so many hits on it that I really love. So welcome. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah. I mean, currently at recording 23rd of December, I do not feel ready for Christmas. So it's going to be a busy tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, I think it's good and exciting. And in regards to your, your comment about the soundtrack, I've recently got a playlist on my phone, which is just all of Richard Curtis's film soundtracks in a playlist. And it's just incredible the number of hit after hit after hit because he's such a kind of musically involved, musically intelligent kind of guy that he, he says that most of his writing takes place listening to music and uh, most of his films apparently don't stand at all without the music. He says that often that's like 50% of his film working is is the soundtrack. So, yeah, I think the music of Richard Curtis films are definitely a large part. I mean, he's done kind of two music, well, three musically-centred films with The Boat That Rocked, followed by a couple of years ago with Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, and then Yesterday. So clearly there is music involvement in his stuff. Oh, Yesterday. That's another one that I love. We'll have to do that one. <laughs> yeah. Some, well, that was my... Yes, yesterday, however annoyingly it is as a 21st century person, was my main introduction to the Beatles, and I love the Beatles now. So there we go. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I love that. <laughs> I'll find out a way to make it back someday actually as we talk about the first hit i had kind of a related question so kelly clarkson the trouble with love is hit number 32 on the billboard adult contemporary chart and you just mentioned, you know, yesterday kind of being your introduction to the Beatles. And I remember there's a little joke with two minutes about time and Britney Spears. So I'm curious, were you familiar with Kelly Clarkson before um, this film? It's a name I've heard, but that's it. Does Steve Carell shout her name out in The 40-Year-Old Virgin? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I I think that if, if that is the case, that might remember. be the yeah. only time I've heard her name. So, yeah. She, of course, is the winner of the first American Idol in 2002, and she became a huge hit, obviously, from that. She is one of the biggest stars that came out of that whole American Idol franchise. And so in the song, she's explaining how love can be both joyful and sorrowful at the same time. And I think that's a big part of Richard Curtis films as well. Yeah. Kind of all of those emotion, <laughs> emotions gets wrapped up into one 
The song received really positive reviews from music critics. They praised Clarkson's vocals, comparing her to Mariah Carey and Beyonce. And most certainly, she is... Yeah, just a, one of the strongest female vocal talents. So thoughts on this song and how it's used in the film? I really like it. I know, I, I've listened, it's, it's bad during the show. I've listened to the soundtrack definitely more now than I've listened to the film. So I'm trying to remember the specific points it features because a lot of this music kind of features either in the, in the background at parts or very short intervals that quite a few bits on the soundtrack. I'm kind of like, I don't know where, where about this is. So I'll admit with that one that I like the song on the soundtrack. I can't remember where in the film it is. Yeah, that was kind of like that Amy Winehouse track where I had to really yeah. try to find it in two minutes about time yeah. because it was just very, you know, kind of fleeting at, at the party. So, Which for music licensing must mean there's a heck of a budget to just be able to afford right? using a track in the background of a scene that no one notices. Yeah, especially big stars like Amy Winehouse and, and Kelly Clarkson. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's... You just gave me a, a really good idea. I need to do that, which is make my entire Richard Curtis sound. Yeah, <laughs> just a I giant playlist. I still haven't added the boat that rocked actually yet, yeah. which is annoying because that I rewatched that. It never worked for me. I rewatched the boat that rocked the other day. Pirate Radio, sorry, in America, Pirate Radio is called. And I rewatched that the other day, and I was like, "This is a really good movie." Because it's not Richard Curtis rom com; it's just a film about pirate radio, but it's really good. Yeah, and obviously has some great hits. I need to keep remembering to call it pirate radio and not the boat that rocked. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's cool. Let's move on then to Dido's "Here with Me," which this song was the first single that Dido released from her 1999 debut studio album "No Angel." She wrote the song about her then boyfriend Bob Page and. And it hit number 21 on the Billboard Top 40 chart, but wasn't released in the UK until 2001. And I believe it was actually a bigger hit in the UK than in the US. This song was featured prominently in a pivotal scene. Yeah, it's my favorite scene in the film. <laughs> cool. So this is where, so when I was on your show, I think you were surprised by how much I liked the film because you were expecting maybe more of a yeah. feminist or other type of like critique and this is one of my least favorites. So maybe we can have like a yeah. friendly argument yeah, uh, about this. There was this actually <laughs> an interview with Richard Curtis recently. He did for Mark Kermode, who's the UK's top film critic guy. And he acknowledged a lot of the problems with Love Actually in there. Like he was talking about how there were so many like co-worker relationships. And he talked about how the infamous card scene is basically a stalker scene. And it was like, I really like that he's just fine with talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not rooting for Carl at any point. but. This, especially this sequence, I can imagine and completely feel what Carl is feeling in the sequence where this happens. So there's a, it's just after he's shown her the video and he's kind of going backwards and forward. He's kind of not knowing what to do, what to say. And I just think Andrew Lincoln's performance there is incredible. It feels relatable whilst thankfully I've not been in any situation like that. So I'm not quite sure why it feels relatable, but it just kind of has that to it. And it is just following Kira Knightley's amazing performance when watching that video, Yes, which is just, I've never seen acting like it in the way that she is both confused, complimented and concerned just in the look of an eye. Yeah. So the actors definitely do an amazing job in this, in this scene. Andrew Lincoln does a great, just the emotion that comes back and forth. And even though I don't love the 
idea of this scene. It's definitely the most controversial scene, I think, in yeah. the entire film. And a lot's been written about it. So in one article I read, it's like, is Mark actually a heartbroken sap whose love could not be contained or a seriously creepy stalker and terrible best friend? And I mean, he could be both, but yeah, <laughs> I don't I've, think he's... I've yeah. made it better with, I think I discussed this when you're on the show, I've added my own backstory to their relationship, which is that Carl was obviously friends with Peter and that they were in high school or secondary school and he decided to have a party and mostly the aim of this party being he was in love with Juliet he thought it'd be a a, a good chance to kind of get to know her and spend some time with her and over the course of the night Juliet falls for Peter they end up together and thus through the entire course of their relationship he's thinking I hope they break up soon or he's kind of just waiting and so even to the point of them getting married there's still that little bit at the back of his mind that's waiting for them to break up so he can make his move that yeah i i I think for it to be in any way acceptable he has to have liked her before they got together but either way going all american beauty at the weddings a bit much yeah (laughs) yeah so i got to avoid talking about that scene when i was a guest on your show so i hadn't really paid too much attention (laughs) too much attention to it and Till here, but I, I I really do. I have empathy for how that feels because I haven't been in that exact situation before. But just the idea of like unrequited love or mm. not being with someone you want to be with, it's like should he have gone over there and done that? Probably I not. Don't but agree <laughs> with what he does, yeah. But also, I don't think Carl ever thought he was going to actually get with Juliet when when we get to the cards. We're not even talking about the cards, but when we get to the cards, I don't think he was expecting anything more than just to kind of put a bookend on it. Yeah, like a closure for himself, like a way to move on, maybe. Just... Yeah. Well, now that we have the most contentious scene out of the way, we can move on to The Calling, wherever you will go. And this is one of my most favorite songs on the soundtrack because it's also on my real-life long-distance soundtrack, which I'll talk about in a minute. But Wherever You Will Go is the debut single by the band The Calling, released in May 2001. It was their first single from their debut studio album, Camino Palmero, and it was actually their best-known and most successful hit, which is awesome, but in a way a little sad. Like if your first ever released single is so huge and then you always have kind of trouble living up to that one. (laughs) But peaked at number five on the Billboard Hot 100 and it was actually on top of the adult top 40 for 23 weeks running. It's the second longest running number one in the entire chart's history behind only Smooth by Santana and Rob Thomas. Which also features in this film, right? But not on the soundtrack album. Huh, that's a good point. I didn't even think about (laughs) that. This song has quite a romantic story behind it. Songwriter Aaron Kameen said in a radio interview, quote, At the time, my grandmother's best friend had passed away, and she left behind a husband of 50 or more years. And I was at the funeral, and afterwards I just started thinking of what it would be like to be him and have your whole life change so dramatically, and not for the best in a matter of moments. Somebody that you live and grow with and are one with just to be gone is crazy. And I figured... partially relieved by that story because i was listening to the song recently and all i could think is this would be a really good funeral song yeah so I'm kind of relieved i wasn't being too morbid <laughs> no 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 no. you weren't being morbid at all and in fact that's really prescient since it actually was yeah a, a funeral song in a way he said i figured 
all he ever thinks about probably is finding a way to get back to her or to be with her or to make sure that she's all right or something like that. That's the sentiment behind that. So for me, the song actually marks the beginning of my story because I started a long distance relationship with Robert in August 2001. He lived in Los Angeles. I lived in Pittsburgh. This song, that's when it had heavy, heavy radio play. So it was just kind of like the soundtrack to that. Even though we lived 3000 miles away from each other, we would just try to find a way to fly back and forth and, and see each other make the relationship work by March of 2002. I moved to Los Angeles where we got married. And yeah, so now we're heading into 2021. So what are your thoughts on this song or or scene? Um, I the, the scene I remember talking about on, on the show, partially with you because you had the bit earlier on, I weirdly liked way more than I should have done. <laughs> like yeah. Chris Marshall's story, I, I came into it doing the show being like, this is going to be really problematic. And of course it is problematic. But I was smiling the whole way through. I was like, this is really fun. It's just stupid. It's actually surprisingly PG, considering the tone of the rest of the film, that actually they they don't speak overly crassly in the scene. It's all very much kind of carry-on humour almost. But I like how this features, and I like how it, it slides from being diegetic music within the bar to soundtrack when when we cut to a shot of the window with the silhouettes, which is incidentally Richard Curtis's girlfriend Emma Freud's least favourite shot in the film. Oh. <laughs> so let's move on to my other favourite song on the soundtrack, which is Pointer Sisters Jump. And this is one that I associate with my mother, actually. We, yeah, we had a hard time growing up in the early 80s. My parents were hit particularly hard by the recession. My father had actually moved to a different city to find work, and my mother was working two jobs and trying to raise us three young children. And needless to say, she was exhausted and cranky much of the time. I really don't even know how she managed, but one of my happy memories was how much my mother loved female R&B artists and groups, her favorites being Tina Turner and the Pointer Sisters, and she instilled this love in me. Whenever it was Saturday morning and time to clean the house, she'd play upbeat songs like Jump, and we'd all sing along, and she'd have little games like, how much can you pick up while Jump was on? How much can you put away? So I can't hear this song without feeling motivated and in a good mood. <laughs> and this song was the Pointer Sisters' third charting single from their 10th studio album, Breakout in 1983. It was also one of the soundtrack's biggest hits, ascending to a peak of number three on the Hot 100, the R&B charts, and Billboard magazine. It also got the Grammy in 1985 for Best Pop Performance by a Duo or Group. I'm not sure if you know about this. Maybe you did. I didn't until I did some research for the show. But are you familiar with a British girl group, Girls Aloud? Yes, yeah. Yeah, because I, I wasn't. They covered Jump for Love, actually. Richard mm, Curtis It's the actually, only one on the soundtrack yeah, on the album. It was ultimately not used in the movie. The Pointer Sisters original was instead. Mm. But the Girls Aloud version was produced by Brian Higgins and recorded at the request of Richard Curtis. It's kind of like, well, with, with About Time, they had um, another British musician, Ellie Golding, did How Long Will I Love You for the soundtrack as well. Yeah. So I feel like maybe it was kind of a way of, of selling albums and kind of pop, a, pop another name on there. Yeah, because the Point of Sisters version isn't on the album, I don't know whether that's a contractual thing or what it is. I'm possibly now more familiar with the Girls Aloud one from 
listening to the soundtrack, but I do definitely prefer the Pointer Sisters version. I'm like, okay, I'm going to listen to this girl's aloud version. And I was surprised that I liked it as much as I did. Since I have such an emotional connection mm-hmm. with the Pointer Sisters version, I was like <laughs> prepared to uh, just not like it. Or, But I thought it was really good, actually. And the girl's aloud version peaked at number two on the UK singles chart. I don't think it charted in the US. The music video was intertwined with scenes from love actually to make it appear that girls allowed snuck into 10 Downing Street to spy on the prime minister, Hugh Grant. Jump was promoted through various live appearances and has been performed on all of the group's concert tours and seen as a turning point in their career, actually. That's good. And talking about that scene, listeners Mm -hmm. of Christmas actually will know that I did a thing in one episode where I said, like, I think it was only like five people tweeted me then i'd reenact that scene and so that is inevitable it has happened those five tweets i have just not had the chance to rehearse and film it but that will probably be coming around early next year on the mxm youtube channel if anyone for any reason wants to see me humiliate myself oh yeah we're definitely gonna see that and i will share it and (laughs) we'll get at least five more viewers so so yeah, thank you i, I, I need, I need to it, it, it's the thing about setting a tweet goal for a show that hasn't come out yet right. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know what to say yeah overall i really i like the girls aloud found it a fun fresh updated version to the song and it brought more people to mm. the song so that's cool i am slightly familiar with the pointer sisters actually because i was thinking mm-hmm. i was double checking which is that june pointer had a song in national lampoon's vacation uh, little boy suite which I really like because I was a big fan of that film a couple of years ago. I still enjoy it now, but not as much as I did then. And that is unavailable to get on like iTunes, Spotify, Amazon. That song is just nowhere. Huh. Which is... Have you heard it or you just haven't been able to find it? I've heard it in the film, but I have not been able... And I think I probably YouTubed it at one point, but I just can't download it anywhere. It's really annoying. Yeah. Strange because considering how much music is out there, that that one just seems to have not hit streaming. Yeah, I'll have to hear it in the in the film. I don't remember that song specifically. It's, it, but... it, it's mostly the intro that plays whenever the girl in the red car appears, and it's just yeah, it, it, yeah. Anyway, that's not this, but the dance scene. I do have the knowledge that Hugh Grant did not want to do that scene at all, hmm. and he was not a fan of filming it, and and I think he changed the choice of song about two or three times. So. It's kind of weird how such an iconic scene is one that he did not want to do. Yeah. Do you know why he didn't want to do it? Uh, not really. Hugh Grant's oh. kind of... I'm, you're never quite sure with Hugh Grant, because he's... I've watched a lot of interviews with him recently, because he's fascinating to watch being interviewed. That he's he has this kind of persona he puts on that you're never quite sure when he's serious or not. Hmm. He could easily have just been kind of taking the mick, or he could genuinely have not wanted to do it. Although he did do it again for the comic relief Red Nose Day, actually. He did it to hotline bling oh fun um so clearly he was willing enough to do that for charity yeah <laughs> Joni mitchell both sides now this is actually one of her best known songs it was on the u.s charts way back in the fall of 1968 but the song's been recorded by dozens of artists from frank sinatra willie nelson gang of youths herbie hancock just so many different people and in 2004, Rolling Stones actually has it on their list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Mm. Indie Wire, Emma Thompson, who plays Karen, discusses this emotional scene. She said, that scene where my character is standing by the bed crying is so well known because it's something everyone's been through. 
The actor said at a fundraiser for the Tricycle Theater in London, the outlet adds that, quote, Thompson was referring to her relationship with Kenneth Branagh, who she fell in love with in 1987 when they starred as newlyweds in the BBC drama Fortunes of War. They married in 1989, but their relationship ended when Branagh met fellow actress Helena Bonham Carter while filming Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and the duo notoriously embarked on an affair. Thompson and Branagh divorced in 1995. She said, I had my heart very badly broken by Ken, so I knew what it was like to find the necklace that wasn't meant for me. Well, it wasn't exactly like that, but we've all been through it. She said, I've had so much bloody practice at crying in a bedroom than having to go out and be cheerful, gathering up the pieces of my heart and putting them in mm. a drawer. So thoughts on this? Well, in, in terms of its placement in the film, it's Love Actually is not my favourite Richard Curtis film. There are several I love more, but mm-hmm. I think that might be the greatest scene Richard Curtis has ever written or directed. I wow. think it is such an amazing piece of cinema that is so well shot. Apparently Emma Thompson recorded that take after take after take it's it's not underplayed it's not overplayed it's just brilliant and so this song has always meant that uh, this this scene to me you mentioned helena bonham carter so she yeah she covered it for children in need mm-hmm. two or three years ago i believe it was her who did it and that was very good so yeah the, the, the song has always reminded me of this scene and i the the, the album which is the which is the both sides now album, which is the one that she obviously unwraps, thinking it's the necklace, is often on display in a music shop right by my college. So I walk past it on many a oh, day, wow. remembering this scene. Yeah, yeah. I think this is definitely one of the most memorable scenes in the mm. film, and I didn't realize that Emma Thompson had such. Like, it had such emotional mm. resonance yeah, yeah, for her. Like, yeah, <laughs> which is probably one of the reasons why it's so great and why we remember it and why you say it's the greatest scene that he's ever directed and that she's acted in. So I, I just, I love it. I, I remember when we, uh, when we discussed it on the show, it was so hard to find anything to say about it because it's just good. It's just right. beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's definitely one of the kind of most remembered moments from Love Actually, I think. You got the card scene, the dance scene, and Emma Thompson right. crying. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Love Actually in, in five minutes. <laughs> Only a, a couple more, and I don't have too much about either of these final two songs before I open it up and just have a few questions really curious about. There's one which I'm looking forward to finding out whether you've counted or not, because it's on the edge as to whether it's this version. Yeah. So, yeah. Well... Next, Beach Boys, God Only Knows. Yeah. Uh, this, what's so interesting about this song though, is it barely hit the Billboard Top 40 charts. It was number 39 is where it peaked and it wasn't even like a main release. So back in the 60s, they Oof. kind of had like A sides and B sides and mm. this was like a B side release. It wasn't even ne- like supposed to be a giant hit and now Rolling Stones has it as the 25th best song of all time. I was going to say it's, it, yeah. I think it's one of the greatest songs of all time. It's simple, yeah. but it's beautiful. There, there are multiple moments in different films and TV series that feature this song that just whenever I hear it, it kind of brings them all about. And our, our music guy for Christmas actually did a brilliant instrumental cover of it for the show and actually did a vocals version as well, which plays in our Christmas Eve episode. And yeah, so that was brilliant. I, I do, I do love the song. There's a, a rather memorable and upsetting scene in series one of Skins that uses God mm-hmm. Only Knows as well, which is just, which is performed in a concert. And that, that 
kind of has the extra emotional feeling because of the connection with this film i think yeah it's the song is deeply emotional it's like a real gut punch i didn't appreciate the beach boy i mean the beach boys is my parents generation so i guess like your grandparents are so generation yeah <laughs> but so I, I didn't really come to appreciate them as a band until later on i wasn't really into the surf rock thing like there were some of my parents oldies music that i liked but for me late 60s i was more into like the acid rock pink floyd and, and yeah. stuff like that so i i didn't really appreciate it but now i definitely do a lot more um sir paul mccartney says that this is the greatest written song of all time many music critics consider pet sounds which is where the single is from the 1966 album that's considered by most music critics to be one of the greatest albums of all time isn't, wouldn't it be nice on that album as well i believe so yes because those yes. are the only two beach boy songs i know yeah. <laughs> but i love both of them so i kind of have the feeling that i'm going to really enjoy the rest of their music but i haven't got around to, to listening to any more yeah i definitely feel like you should at least listen to the pet sounds album mm. a few times just in the fact that it's still so good even excuse me, 54 years later is yeah. <laughs> is incredible. Well, the other thing I was going to say is from my own kind of perspective, this is uh, with this song, is I went about much debate before deciding to use it for the show from a Christian perspective as to whether it's blasphemy or not. And I settled that it mm. isn't. Okay. Because yeah. I think... I think it depends what meaning you put into it when you're when you're singing or talking yeah. about it yourself. But I think I think it's kind of it's kind of borderline. I, but I've also known people who've played it at like church events and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, that that sort of era of music. I remember what I was going to say now was uh, same thing with both the rocked pirate radio. Most of the songs from that are that kind of similar style. In terms of what I know of the Beach Boys through God Only Knows and Wouldn't It Be Nice, I think Eleanor by the Turtles is kind mm-hmm. of got a very similar kind of style to it. Yeah, that's another great band i haven't listened to in a long time they do Once have a similar that might be song. the only song of theirs yeah. i know but that's track three i think on the about the rock soundtrack so every time i put it on i'm often at least get to that track yeah because it's that lovely era of most songs being like two to three minutes long yeah i'm genuinely curious so obviously i'm familiar with blasphemy i was raised catholic but yeah. i never really is like thought about that in terms of this song so i'm curious mm. is it the is it the mention of god like yeah i think so it's it's, it's the the phrase god only knows because Mm -hmm. the the the, the passive mention of god knows is i i would say is Mm. if you said it just in that way is a form of blasphemy in the fact that you're obviously not kind of intended to refer to him (laughs) in a way it's kind of just the passive using it as an exclamation but i think as the god only knows i think that's kind of truthful when you're talking about you know no one else (laughs) yeah i I don't know only god will know and i think that taking that own perception into it as my way of viewing listen to the song i consider it to be acceptable but i'd also say that there may be others who don't and that's fine (laughs) right right right. yeah because that was kind of my perception of it i saw it more as like respectful or honoring Mm, it didn't seem flippant to me like the use no it it doesn't it's not as as flippant as other stuff and it has got that kind of i just i I think this this, the style of the song especially if i'm singing along to it i'm thinking that yes god does only know (laughs) yeah it seems sincere yeah, to me. I don't know, but like, I, 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 once again, I'm, I've, I've been on a few things where I brought a conversation about blasphemy mm-hmm. because I think it's, it's an interesting thing which not many people actually think about anymore. Right. Yeah, and that's true. It's surprising how present it is. I think some people get really surprised. Like I was guesting on a show, Sitcand, great show, where they talk about 
they go episode by episode through Friends. Mm-hmm. 90s American sitcoms, there's a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I kind of acknowledge it in that. And yeah, it's... It, I, I just think it's a it's a conversation at least that needs to be had, if nothing else. Absolutely. <laughs> I agree. So, and yes, Friends, I don't know, Friends is problematic in many ways. I know that's yeah. such a popular show, so it's hard to criticize it. That but... is definitely, well, that is definitely what Sitcan go through. I will I will give a good chat at Sitcan. One of them, well, I think two. there's three hosts. Two of them love the show. One of them hates the show, but hasn't actually seen most of it. Mm-hmm. So they're going episode by episode. They're up to series three. And they've got a load of kind of good in-jokes and own theories about things like Joey being a serial killer. Wow. Um, <laughs> it's, it is a very interesting way of seeing how problematic Friends goes. So there we go. Shout out yes. to Sitcam. Yes. <laughs> All right. So finally, Otis Redding's White Christmas. So ah, I'm not sure yeah, if You haven't was... counted the other one I was thinking. We'll no. So we'll talk about that. We are. <laughs> White Christmas, I mean, I barely included this one, but one, this is a Christmas episode, so it felt really wrong to leave the Christmas mm-hmm. song out of the Christmas episode. But I mean, White Christmas has been covered by dozens of Billboard charting artists. It's one of the best known Christmas songs of yeah. all time. And other artists' versions have technically this Otis Redding version wasn't a Billboard Top 40 charting hit, but it's kind of Billboard adjacent. So any thoughts on... Mm this version or this I like this version and I have a lot of respect for Richard Curtis considering the line that comes before the song starts playing I don't know if you remember what point it features no Um, I should have done more research on the scene (laughs) it's just after Jack and Judy uh, are at their door and they've confessed their love to each other. Mm. Um, so just before Martin yeah. Freeman jumps up and does it, ha ha! And the line that she says is, all I want for Christmas is you. So thank goodness he avoids playing that song. <laughs> Obviously they play it at the end, and I know a lot of people have issues with the song. I don't mind either way. It's an all right song. But I, 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 I just respect the fact that he went on for White Christmas instead. Uh, because yes. it's been such an easy thing to do. So for that reason, I like it. Also, like, I wasn't sure of it first time I heard it, but the more I've been listening to it, it, I really like it. I think it's, it's, it's a kind of very different version of it to how you normally hear it. And it, it adds something so lovely and kind of so personal and intimate about it. Yeah. So that, I think, covers all of the charting songs, mm-hmm. although apparently maybe I forgot. I mean, there were songs that weren't charting but that are on the soundtrack so what didn't i cover that okay, you particularly so this like? is only a half one because technically it's not this version but christmas is all around you've got the original lovers all around yes which was number one in the uk charts for i believe 16 weeks after four weddings and a funeral came out so richard curtis just thought it'd be really funny to make his fans listen to the same song again <laughs> Nice. <laughs> and so he, he opens the film with that. So that's why I wasn't sure whether you were going to count it or not. I don't know how how well it did in American charts. The original wet wet wet. I don't think I don't think wet 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 did the original actually, but the wet 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 version. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know how well Christmas is all around. Did I imagine this one didn't particularly hit the charts? But it is on a, many a Christmas playlist that I would play, and I have a connection to it because I did. Uh, Lara, my co-host, and I performed it at a school concert a year ago, and. So that was fun. Yeah. Before we had any plans to do the podcast on Love Actually, so it's just kind of convenient that I've got that audio file there. I, I really like it. <laughs> That's probably. I one really of my like that songs. song too. Yeah, I really like it. It's got sort of a melancholy. Mm. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> Tend to be. It's like it's really sweet. Yeah. But I, there's also this kind of just really little bit of like underlying. I assume we mean sadness. the original Love Is All Around yeah. Here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, I agree. It's got something to it, definitely. 
And it's kind of weird that it did so well after Four Weddings and a Funeral because it's not really very prominent in a scene in it. It's just kind of, I think, a band singing it yeah. in the background. So I don't think it's even the Wet, Wet, Wet version that features, but Four Weddings became a hit, and so that song became a hit. But I, I, I like Billy Mac, Bill Nye's version in the film because yeah. it's such... You can believe that that song would hit number one, but it's also such a money-grabbing chart-topper as well that it's kind of just believable, I think. And it's and and I like that throughout the film he knows that it's bad. Yeah, I I love that whole just segment of Love Actually. It's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, so that's <laughs> the running gag of it. <laughs> that's one that that definitely is kind of one of my favorites. Probably alongside God Only Knows, maybe wherever you will go would hit my top ones i feel like there's another one i'm forgetting and i can't recall what it is um but of, of course as i said i i'm indifferent on it but you do hear a, a cover of all i want for christmas as well which i assume was a chart topping song oh yeah that's definitely a huge hit but i remember when we got to that scene on the show that several people did not like do not, i'm not a fan of the song i'm kind of indifferent but i understand why people wouldn't like it yeah there are so many kind of great tracks you've got all you need is love once again that's a cover and it's only brief and i guess if you ever do an episode on yesterday that would be the 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 time to do it yeah i think Uh, i will there are are so many great tracks uh songbird by eva cassidy i'm not a fan of the story in which it features with sarah and carl but i think it's Mm -hmm. brilliant in how it features there i think that makes the scene bearable for me yeah (laughs) so what would your just because i love countdowns and charts so what would your top four be running from number four through your favorite okay so i will pop wherever you will go at four i think Mm -hmm. i'll go with um i'll put in for three i've got a few tied (laughs) um i'll go christmas is all around on three uh something on two and then god only knows on one what was my other one maybe uh dido's here with me on two yeah, I think God Only Knows has got to got to top it for me. Yeah, God Only Knows is a fair number one for sure. If I'm speaking objectively, I would have to give the same number one. Yeah. If I'm speaking emotionally, then it's still going to be jumping wherever you will go, just because yeah. of yeah. my connection, like my emotional connection with those songs. But God Only Knows as the best song, and I still love that. And that was just like a B track and that yeah. and that the Beach Boys are almost more popular now than they were like they were just considered this I mean they were hugely popular I don't mean to diminish how popular they were as contemporary artists in the late 60s but I feel like they're a band that people appreciate more yeah <laughs> in the song yeah known for this song and just that people will still be listening to in yeah, like definitely. 20 years and 50 years and <laughs> Uh, I feel like God Only Knows features at some point in Vicar of Dibley. Mm-hmm. I know that Love Is All Around does feature in Vicar of Dibley. Uh, incidentally, another slightly different cover of it, I think, in, in during one of the church services, they've got the, the choir singing on Jesus Love, You Can Depend. So clearly, Richard Curtis loves that song. Yeah. V- v- Vicar of Dibley is a whole thing that I'm hopefully doing a show on next year because it's a show that... I love here. It's great. They brought it back for three 10 minute specials for the past couple of weeks. Um, oh, that's which cool. has been great. They're now compiling it into like one half hour episode about the vicar doing lockdown sermons. So that's something. But unfortunately, about half of the cast have passed away now. So it's, oh no, 
doesn't feel the same, but it's 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 a nice kind of bit of of light relief to to watch a bit of Vicar of Dibley once more. So when was this show originally? Is it a really oh. old show? That's why the cast. Yeah, fairly. I think. I well, I think the last proper episode was probably two thousand and seven, but it started. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna take a guess and say like uh ninety four. It started, but yeah, mm-hmm. like a lot of the cast were, I think, kind of fairly older. Uh, Emma Chambers wasn't older. I think she's probably more known in America for being in um, Notting Hill. She was Hugh Grant's younger sister in Notting Hill, and she passed away in 2018. But she was only 53. So yeah, it's it's very sad how many are missing. They did a they did a tribute to her within the show that they they said that her character had passed away. But I think they pretended that a lot of the other characters were still alive within the universe of the show. But yeah, anyway, that's not music. But yeah, that's, that's okay. <laughs> we can talk about whatever we want. Vicar of Dibley is a good British show, which. I think I know some Americans have really enjoyed, but I also imagine it's probably very, very British. Yeah, I'll have to check it out at some point and see wherever yeah. you can find it. I think it's on BritBox. I think Robert had a look yeah. at some point when we we're doing two minutes about time. But other than that, I have no idea. It's I think it's on it's on Netflix and BBC iPlayer here, so we we can watch it whenever. <laughs> so, is there anything that I didn't cover that you'd like to say about the soundtrack or the film? I don't think so. Other than just Craig Armstrong's score, obviously mm-hmm. the score doesn't isn't soundtrack, but I think the score features a little on the album. I think is just a brilliant score throughout. There are um, you can go to like live concert screenings of Love Actually when COVID isn't happening. So I think that the music and the score is just incredible. Yeah. And where can listeners find more of you? Uh, so they can find me on Twitter at llama underscore bottle zero. I am Instagram the Ginger Luke. I'm on Facebook at Luke Allen Film. All podcasts, radio appearances, newspaper articles, short films, anything I'm remotely involved in is most likely to be at LukeAllen.co.uk. And then Two Minutes About Time is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Two Mins About Time. And Christmas Actually, same at Christmas Act Pod. Almost on Pod Chaser. I'm just about figuring out how that works. I think you search the Luke Allen, but I might be the Ginger Luke. I don't know. I'm there somewhere. Yeah. You can find my shows on there, and I'll be attached to them in some way shape or form and you can follow life as a playlist on facebook twitter and instagram and i'm kind of dabbling in the world of movies by minute so i have pump up the minute that i co-host with robert about the film pump up the volume and we're working on an arrival so five minute arrival podcast right now which will start releasing i think in the beginning of the year january or february so i want to thank you very much for being on this show and discussing the soundtrack and thanks so much for having me on it's been good fun i always like a guest spot and it's an absolute pleasure to be chosen for a christmas special it's very exciting thank you and merry christmas to all of our listeners merry christmas what do you love about music to begin with everything <laughs>